Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and this is The Watchman. We are sounding the alarm for the... And our commitment on The Watchman is for the objective truth. And as The Watchman on the wall, we will always call out whenever we see anyone living in the fifth dimension attempt to put feelings and emotions in front of facts and truth. We do that by calling out the real motives of those living in the land of unlimited imagination. And we expound on the underreported facts, and we do that by what we're doing right here with Annette Baker. Annette Baker is with us today. Annette Baker is an environmental science expert, homeschool teacher. She's also our Republican candidate for the senatorial district, the state senatorial district, 11th district, against Judy Swank. And I don't, I mean, Annette, have you gotten any calls from Judy Swank? Uh, Is she jumping into a debate with you anytime soon? I have not heard anything at this point. My campaign has not received any invitations or uh, responses. You haven't gotten anything from her? No. (laughs) Not yet. Gee, I wonder why. There's still time. We have 50 days. We still have time. (laughs) But I would like, you know, I would submit that we should do that before, like, you know, 20 days out. Although people will start voting very soon. So it's important that people do their homework and know who they're going to vote for now because they're supposed to be mailing out the uh, absentee and mail-in ballots soon and people can start returning them. So I would encourage everyone, educate yourselves on your candidates, know who you're going to vote for, know what they stand for, and then vote accordingly. Okay. Well, Annette, I want to ask you a little bit about PSA for today. <laughs> I want to ask you a little bit about what's your opinion as our envi- as our resident environmental science expert. What's your thoughts on the <laughs> fires on the fires in southern in California right now, Oregon and Washington? Are those fires man caused climate change or are they the result of arson? Well, we don't know uh, exactly if those are. I think um, that's uh, that, that might caused be caused by arson. Is that Judy Schwenk calling you in the background? <laughs> no, unfortunately not. Well, maybe she's leaving a message at the uh, GOP <laughs> headquarters. That may be possible. <laughs> so we'll wait. We'll check the answering machine at the end of this segment to see if maybe she's calling in. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah the, there is some question uh, back to your original question as to whether or not they're man-made or, or you know, is it because of global warming? or climate change um, that they're calling it now um, because the global warming thing didn't work. Um, you know, they, there are some questions. I've seen some reports where they think some of the fires may have been started. Uh, one they know was accidental and, but there's others that they're not sure um, if they were started intentionally. Um, the interesting thing is I, what you had uh, mentioned um, about uh, the fires um being caused by climate change and increasing. And I actually remembered something that I had read in Gregory Wrightstone's book, Inconvenient Facts, that actually he compiled information um, that showed that forest fires actually indeed were decreasing in the 2000s. Um, The the number of fires and intensity uh, had actually been decreasing um, according to the statistics that he compiled and that is something that uh is is completely in in uh contradiction to what gavin newsom believes um the interesting thing that a lot of people may not know 
about forest management, um, the idea was back 20, 25 years ago when I was studying forest management, the idea was we would go in, um, I did take a class in, in forest management, and we would go in and we would look at what they call the understory, the underbrush, and the leaf litter on the floor of particular forests. And it would give you an idea as to how much what they call tinder or dry um, a fuel for a fire would be uh, in, in a particular area. And there were things that you could do to remove vegetation, uh, to remove dead wood, to try to mitigate or reduce the, the uh, possibility of having out-of-control forest fires. And believe it or not, there's actually, um, there was actually some processes where you would actually – uh, and they do use this as even now they will do, put, start um, five backfires that they would actually start a fire uh, to try to burn out all of the fuel before the, the approaching wildfire comes and takes over an area in the attempt to stop it from spreading further. Um, and that is a process that that has been used for a very long time. Um, actually, the Native Americans used it when they had fires uh, in the prairies, if they knew that there was a fire coming, they would burn um, any fuel that was in the ground or on the ground to try to save their villages. And that's not an uncommon uh, practice in a lot of areas. So there's a lot of things that have not happened in California because you have environmentalists who wanted to go in and leave the natural, um, uh, understory, the, the trees and shrubs that grow underneath everything else. Uh, they wanted everything to be left there without understanding that it created, um, uh, basically a tinderbox. It was, it was a place where now, unfortunately, we see, uh, these areas that have just horrendous burns of, of these wildfires going through and wiping out entire towns. It's just, it's absolutely just, you know, disheartening to see. And, and I can't imagine, you know, it broke my heart over the weekend to hear about the young 13 year old boy and his dog that died in the car trying to get out of the fire and they got surrounded and, and ended up perishing in the fire. It's just heartbreaking um, to think about those things. And, you know, a lot of these things, um, you know, there were 300 campers that were were trapped and they were told that, you know, they, they had no way to get out. And um, my understanding is there was a, there were two helicopter crews, I think two or three, if I remember correctly. And they actually chose to fly in with low visibility, intense heat. They rescued people. They pulled them out of that fire. And, uh, you know, just amazing acts of heroism. You know, the, my cousin's um, son is actually a wildfire fighter fighter. Um, he used to do that when he was in college and in um, tech school. And, you know, we were always a little nervous whenever he would be deployed to go fight these fires. And they are asking for people to come in. They've had um, firefighters that came, um, I believe I saw from Australia to California to help fight because they're just moving so quickly. And this is something that we have to balance stewardship of our planet with 
making sure that we're not doing things that make you know going the other side of of the stewardship issue into not using good common sense and making good policy decisions. And sometimes I think we see that backlash um, of going so far by particularly people, I guess I would say on the left or the more progressive mindset, they tend to um, go the pendulum so far the other direction that sometimes even good policy is rejected um, because it's, you know, something that they, they feel, well, that's not right. That's not fair. We shouldn't do it that way, but there's good reason for it. And that's part of the reason that, when someone looks at policy that that is being put forth, does it make sense scientifically? I mean, we're seeing that now with COVID. Now we're seeing it with the wildfires. We have to start saying, you know, we have to make policy decisions that are guided by science, not just by feelings and, you know, um, wanting to have that warm, fuzzy, oh, I did the right thing and I feel so good. Um, but it actually ends up hurting the very people and, and environment that we want to protect. Well, as I talked about, I think on the last show, and I was bringing it up, I mean, they're trying to they're trying to shame people into turning off their air conditioners when it's 100 degrees outside. Uh, you know, turn off your toaster, unplug your refrigerator, whatever. But I, I want to I want to allude to something. I, I believe there was an article that came out a few days ago talked about four people, two in Washington, one in Oregon, and and one in California that have been arrested for arson on this. Uh, and one of the arrestees was a regular attendee of the defund the police rallies in Seattle. So, I mean, they're, well, they're, they're, this is arson. I mean, they, these fires were started. And uh, well, I saw a video that uh, may correspond and, and, you know, corroborate what you're saying. It was a woman who caught someone on the, on the, it looked like a back part of her property that had matches in his hand. And the video is of her, you know, asking him, what are you doing on my property? Why do you have matches? And then she's holding him with a gun in her hand until the police showed up. And she's like, what are you trying to burn down? And he's like, I'm not, I'm just smoking. And she's like, where are your cigarettes? And he's like, well, I just used the last one. And she's like, don't lie to me. (laughs) She was not having any of it. And that's something that I, you know, unfortunately we saw, I want to say it was last year, around this time, um, I think there were reports a year ago of that very thing happening where Antifa and um, particularly yeah. Antifa movement were out and they, they suspected that they may be starting fire, you know, forest fires with the idea of destabilizing the economy, you know, everything right before the election. This is an organized um, effort. Look, what you and I have been talking about this. A lot of these defund the police riots that are going on in these cities, the lawlessness, a lot of it, much of it is organized. It's an organized effort. I mean, it's the same people that drop off the, the you know, the piles of rocks in the protest area so they can start throwing them when the, when the sun goes down. It's the police officers, it's the same people that are that are bringing in the, the fireworks and whatever else to these facilities. Look, the bottom line is. You know, that these people are, it's just something that they would do to, to set fires in Southern California to create create fires. I mean, they're trying to create fires. They're trying to raise havoc, create havoc. I think that this is very telling on what these anarchists really have in store. Now, does Joe Biden have the backbone to stand up to these anarchists, Annette, or is it seemingly that he's in league with these people? 
Well, I'd have to say that, um, you know, where they were not condemned um, or not called out for That's right. the, the, the violence that was going on. Um, I have to believe that, you know, now that they're saying, well, you know, we don't really support that. And no, we're, we're coming out and saying, it, you know, the polls showed that that didn't play well with John Q. Public and Jane Q. Public. You know, they're not buying the fact that, you know, if you're not speaking out against it in terms of, of the violence, um, they're thinking and, and they're watching these Democrat cities that are allowing for the violence to continue. I think it's over a hundred days now, hundred and I think it's 120 days almost in Seattle. And they're, they're wondering when are they going to step in? And unfortunately, I think we see with vice president Biden, a reluctance to step in. Um, and, and I was just talking to someone and uh, picked up a sign and I said, you know, what most people don't understand is right now there will probably be violence after the election, sadly, because Antifa and all these other groups that are out there protest, rioting, not protesting, rioting, these groups that are out there rioting um, are going to continue. The difference will be who's going to be in charge to shut that down. Protesting is fine. And we all agree that protesting is part of our First Amendment freedom of speech. Rioting, however, is not. And that's where the difference is a night and day difference. I think you will, I know you will see a difference between the way Vice President Biden would handle it versus Donald Trump. Well, one, my, I President think one, Trump would definitely, he will shut it down. And he's already said that he is, he, his patience has been long, but it is growing thin. And I think that's what we're depending on some of the other. The, the, this is a republic, okay? And, and in a republic, he has to be asked to come into these cities to, to squash the violence. So, I mean, he's made calls to some of these people. And, you know, in some cases, they've, they've requested that the National Guards come in. Sometimes the mayors bring them in, the governors, I should say. But the bottom line is these Democrats seemingly are supportive of this stuff. I mean, I mean, Joe Biden's own staffers were bailing out. We're putting money into a fund to bail out the rioters in Minneapolis. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, this is what we know. We know this to be true. So, I mean, there's a reason that the public links Joe Biden to these lawless anarchists, and it's because his own staffers are bailing him out of jail in that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And when, you know, when you have something like that going on, I mean. You, know, you have to take a look at, at who are they who who are they supporting and, and, and saying this is okay. I mean it's it's amazing to me. We have we had a shooting unfortunately in Lancaster County. And in Lancaster County they had a riot that was about to start. What they don't understand is that Lancaster Countyans, Lancastrians are not gonna put up with that. Not gonna happen. They're fine with protests, but you want to start lighting the police station on fire? You want to start destroying windows? In fact, I saw an article this morning that said that the police were still getting uh, who had had damage to their buildings. This is going to go, you know, and this is the kind of thing that people don't understand 
when you come out into these more rural counties, they're not going to stand by. They have people in that. They have people in the city that are not going to stand by. And and thankfully, there were pastors who were on scene quickly, who were willing to stand and and say, "Look, you need to calm down. You need to tone down the rhetoric. I, I, Annette, we I, need I, to Annette, get the want, facts out." Right, Annette. I want to ask you a little bit about this because we have a few minutes to go here. I want to talk about the judge ruling here in Pennsylvania against the Pennsylvania governor's uh, shutdown rules. What, what do you think about that? What are your comments on that? Hallelujah. At least we have one constitutionalist on the bench. (laughs) Um, Honestly, it, it, that was the biggest issue that, I mean, obviously I have a lot of issues with a lot of what the governor has done. Um, But the right to assemble, the right to congregate is one of our protected rights. And with the governor putting that kind the, the limitations on things that he did um, I thought it was a fantastic ruling, and it's it's the first blow to um, <laughs> get this governor to wake up and understand that um, you can't dictate. Um, you know, he's jokingly called the king of the Susquehanna for a reason, because he's acting like one. Um, and that's where we need to, um, to to help him understand that we, as you mentioned, we are a republic. We are not a democracy. We are not a dictatorship and we are not a fiefdom. We're not a kingdom. He has to abide by our constitutional rights under a state of emergency. Our constitutional rights are not invalidated. If anything, they should be encouraged because we still should be able to protect them and have them. They, they don't go away just because we're in a state of emergency. We will, we will willingly make decisions to limit ourselves in our personal rights in order to, um, you know, to, to make those decisions for the public good, but they don't become null and void at the stroke of a pen by the governor. Um, and that's, that's the thing that I think with that ruling, it reinforced the fact that our constitutional rights still exist and the governor has to work within that construct. We can't just throw it away because he chooses to work outside of our constitutional rights. So you're saying that our constitutional rights are not suspended because of a pandemic. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We, we as a people, and, and you know, Christy Noem out in in South Dakota has just an amazing approach with all of this. She's like, I trust the people of South Dakota to make the right decisions. I trust them. We will tell them what information they need to be able to make the best decisions. And then we will trust them to do what's right. How adult is that? Well, there's no question. I mean, it's fantastic. Well, I thought was I thought was delicious was here we are and in the San Francisco that hair salon owner in San Francisco that got the videotape of Nancy Pelosi going through this you know with the, the salon without her mask on, and how she she leaked that video to the press, and of course it went out there and of course they you know Nancy Pelosi said well I was set up that was a giant setup, you know the bottom line is I mean this salon owner is upset because she lost her business because of of these unreasonable rules. I mean, here in San Francisco, they shut down all hair salons, nail salons, all these businesses, all these investments of these small businesses 
all their rights of these owners of these businesses, as well as the rights of citizens to go in and patronize these businesses, everything was was put on hold and suspended for the promise of safety, safety that never transpired anyway. And I mean, the bottom line, it was never, I mean, they, California had one of the lowest numbers of fatalities per population in the country. And I think it's really compelling. I think, and, and they just kept things on shutdown. They were telling people at the beach, they were closing beaches and stuff. It was unbelievable. They did whatever they could to, to inflict as much pain on people as they could. And it yeah, was all based upon trying to create the hype and enhance the hype that's going on. I mean, on the, uh, you know, the hype of this pandemic, which I think is interesting is we're going to. And only 27 percent of this country says they're going to take the vaccine. OK, you got almost 70 percent of this country said they're not going to take the vaccine or they're going to wait and take it. Which tells me, as it tells you, as it tells our listeners, because our listeners all have a trained ear as we do. Our listeners are tuned into this just like we are, because they're they're they, they're all very intelligent, top-shelf thinkers, and they can unpack as you and I can uh, on that. We can see we can see the truth and we unpack it. The fact is mm-hmm. that that these that what we're seeing here is we're just seeing this this hyped up fear and all of this, this this is happening. But the people in this country, well, the polling says they're not going to take the vaccination. Well, why is that? Because they're obviously more fearful of the vaccination than they are of getting the COVID. Because they don't believe the COVID is as serious as it was. I mean, this is what I'm seeing in that. What I'm seeing is the longer this goes on, the more the public sees this for what it was, a giant mistake. And that, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. maybe you see it differently. Yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I see this. <laughs> the public right now is looking at this saying, why did we go all this way? Why did we shut down this economy? We never should have done this. I mean, this is why you have so much support in Reading from small business owners, right, 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 right Annette? Yeah, I mean, I I think that you know we see this all over the place where you know they have people that that are saying, look, you know, I I shut down my business. I did everything they asked. In fact, I talked to a lady today um, for a little bit, um, and she had said that you know she she's a waitress. She works in the food service industry. She's like, I cannot make my bills because I can't work the hours I used to work with the number of customers because they rely on tips. A lot of businesses rely on tips um, and service the, the waitresses and waiters are, are one of the few industries where they actually waive um, their, uh, their uh, minimum wage requirements. They actually sign a waiver in many places. I don't know all do that, but I know the people that I've talked to have said, yeah, you sign something that says you're willing to work for whatever dollar amount they pay you per hour plus tips. So it could be, you know, three bucks an hour or five bucks an hour, but then they get whatever tips they're given. Can you imagine working 25, say, say working 20 hours a week and you're used to making, you know, a couple hundred dollars a night in tips. And now if you're lucky, you break $50 a week or $50 a night in tips. That's what's happening to the service industry. Mm-hmm. Talk about liquor sales. That's another big one. Now the governor has said, if you don't sign a piece of paper saying that you're going to abide by every single rule that we come up with and that the CDC tells you you have to abide by, right? 
you can only you can only stay at 25% capacity. You can't go to 50% capacity. If they violate that in any way, they could be fined significantly. And they're not allowed to sell alcohol after 10 o'clock at night. Well, it's because apparently it's a, this virus is so intelligent yeah. that it knows that after 10, yes, it's it can it can affect more people. No, and that's exactly right. I mean, it's crazy. I'm glad you pointed that out because it's important that we understand facts and science and the science and facts. Okay, uh, we know that the virus is more uh, contagious after 10 p.m. <laughs> yeah, apparently, apparently, it's deadlier after 10. I mean, I'm, I'm only if you sit at the bar, but not at the tables. And if you walk through the restaurant, you're not going to get it with uh -huh. a mask on. But I mean, when I'm, you sit down, you 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 definitely won't get it. If you I, sit down and eat food and drink a drink at a table, you're yeah. not going to get it. But when well, you go to a bar, you'll get it. Well, this is what I mean. The rules just and did you see the CDC posted information about for people that are in California with the wildfires that cloth masks do not protect you from inhaling ash and smoke particles. So they're not recommending that you use cloth masks to protect themselves in the wildfires. So, but but you can but you can use a cloth mask the to protect coronavirus. Yourself. You know, yeah, the coronavirus is yes. almost a, I think it's ten thousand times smaller than smoke than than the part ash particles. And then you know, but yet amazing? the mask is protecting you for that. See, this is what's amazing, and I want our listeners to understand. Craziness. Annette, Annette so brilliantly and thoughtfully unpacked this because what it comes back to is the people of this country are, in fact, recognizing that we've gotten through this. We've gotten through this virus. We've gotten through it. And they're just not going to want to rush to take a vaccination for something that they, we got, that, that, that they believe they've gotten through. And I believe that this country is looking now down the road on how we can revive this economy and we've got Joe Biden out there talking about more economic shutdowns and, and mandatory mask wearing for three more months. Folks, I mean, this is this is the way they now he's walking it back. But he did come out and say that, folks, don't miss that. It was an October. It was an August 28th interview. He came out and said it. Mandatory mask wearing for three months. Mm -hmm. And he was asked by an ABC News reporter. I mean, would you shut down the economy again? Well, absolutely. He said, look. Folks, this, the Democrats want to instill more pain and suffering on people, more punishments. The same people that believe that a virus is more contagious after 10 p.m., the same people who want to make you wear a mask for prevent, protecting you from a virus, but the same mask can't protect you from ash and smoke install, in, 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 inhalation. Folks, these are the people that want to make decisions on our life and our lives and on policies that affect our pursuit of happiness. These are the people that want to restrict our lives and restrict our pursuit on, of our happiness. And that, I mean, am I right in that? Did I unpack that for you? Absolutely. And I wanted to mention that I just heard that, uh, that Kutztown, who had proposed a mask policy ordinance, basically, that will fine you if you're out in public without a mask on or congregating with people more than 10 that belong that are in your family you would get fined they actually passed it 4 to 2 that's amazing now 
I, I can, I'm just like, well, yep, I that's mean, not going to stand. But yeah. the fact that they had four people that said, yes, this was a good idea. But Annette, you know, that's we, what's wrong. Annette, you and I have been doing this show for two years now. And for two years, we've been talking about what happens if you want liberals, if you give liberals the ability and the power to make these decisions for you, they will embrace the opportunity to do that. They'll want, they'll gladly take on that responsibility. And we're watching that with a front row seat, right, Annette? Absolutely. This is, this is the whole idea of more government, less government. That's the whole idea why we need you in our state Senate, Annette. Well, Oh, our listeners, well, there's a lot of people we need to change out. <laughs> That's for uh, sure. We appreciate um, our listeners. Thank you, Annette. And we appreciate all our listeners for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to us today. And we appreciate every week you're right here, like clockwork, listening to our show. And Annette and I truly appreciate it. That's why we do it. So thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, see you next week on The Watchman. Most of our audience tunes in every week live while they're in the listening area but some of us some of the audience just picks us up on the listen live button on youtube by by searching on youtube 1180 wfyl others just go to the website 1180wfyl.com and click listen live there folks however you choose to do it we appreciate it thanks for being with us today for net baker i'm clay Bree. see you next week goodbye for now <laughs>